Hello, welcome to this podcast. I'm Bernard. It's your boy, Eric. And we're here. Uh, it's been a while since the last podcast that we had out. Um, just really happy to be back here. It's just taking a break from finals and just hanging out with Eric here. Exactly. It's good. It's good, man. We don't have much longer, but... I mean, this is that last, that last minute bonding experience with your roommate that you just love to have. All of that is relieved because Atlanta finally brought a championship home. Yes. Nard, they finally did it. I am really happy about it. Like, it gives them something to look up to because this season, um, across the board, it feels like everything was on the decline, you know? Uh, the Braves did a really good job of returning to a sense of prominence from the past when I was growing up and I would just see them on TV and they had a really good team but they could never get over the hump and then now just seeing them go to the bottom and then slowly build up where people can identify with the players and it's felt like a long time because it just felt like it was just Freddie Freeman there but then now they have a lot of players to look up to for the future and Atlanta is slowly becoming a place where free agency um, looms, like a lot of people are looking forward to that. It'll be interesting to see, and I don't know, man. Yeah, so, Nard, one thing that we've talked about a lot is what what we like to call the Atlanta curse. And it's it's my idea that Atlanta sports has won one championship with the Braves in 1995, and outside of that, we've seen nothing until Atlanta United has won one here. So, my question to you is, do you believe the Atlanta curse is even a thing? Um, I, I might straddle the fence here. I think it is, but I also think there are a lot of factors that constitute to it. Um, I think one of them being that it depends on the sport because... Down south, football is king. Now, the one thing that is different as you go through different parts of Georgia is the fact that, like, you know, you're from Moultrie. High yeah. school football is the it's greatest the only thing, thing. we have. And then, like, for instance, if you're in the city, um, sometimes I think uh, that's different because Atlanta, there's a hub for different things that attract different people there. Uh, becomes, like, a melting pot of sorts. So, like... I wouldn't paint a broad brush because the whole entire state of Georgia is very different mm-hmm. on each sect. But to answer your question, I think that I think being a transient city is the main reason why um, it's hard to get behind a team because a lot of people come down, move out. You know, there's always a culmination of different teams represented. The people still have um, have roots tapped into, like I guess like back home and whatnot, so you can't get a very core fan base. But I think the one outlier, maybe two, I'd say the Braves and the United are very good examples for that because you have Atlanta United where it's homegrown and then you just see it and just how mm-hmm. rapidly that became a really great team to like root for. And then across the league just seeing the record crowds are coming out and then being a, but then looking over the following day, they will be playing on a Saturday. And the following day, the Falcons will play, and they can't even garner that type of fan base. Yeah. So, would you say a fan base is essential for winning? 
I think so because on the field a lot of the I think a lot of the players you know when they're on the radio where wherever they're at like I guess when they're doing their media runs they're always like well we need y'all out here there's like a huge difference with that you know mm-hmm. if you're playing at let's say let's use like LSU or something like that okay you feel the presence there you feel the presence of having that fan base behind you like a 12 man of sorts oh yeah and like <laughs> It makes it awesome to look at if you're an athlete and you just see there's a sea of people representing your color. Mm-hmm. And then, like, there's that little type of, like, oh, shoot, we're ganging up on this team. And there's, like, we have the fans on our side. So it's not playing at a neutral, neutral territory side or something like that. Yeah, so with that, would you – I guess my question with that, though, is Braves – with the Atlanta Braves, the only city that has a baseball team that is closest to them is Miami. Yeah. So you've got Braves country of Georgia, North Florida, Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee. Mississippi. Mississippi. So you've got all of these states that represent Braves country, yet they've only won one championship in 1995. I think there's a lot of things that could factor into that. Now, as many great pitchers that they've had in that span of like having Glavin, Smoltz, as a football, having Glavin and Smoltz and Maddox and just – the town that happens there like I think a lot of factors can paint to that because not every single year you'll be able to do that and you know players are getting more advanced where they're able to feel out the competition and mm-hmm. know how to adjust to it so you see like really great teams where they have really good all-stars like for instance look at the Yankees they had Trout no not Trout they had um uh Giancarlo Stanton they had um Aaron Judge, and you just see that people are just like, oh, shoot, this is going to be a great team. And they yeah, are yeah. a great team, but offensively, like, they're good there. Um, but then the other side of the ball, you know, like, for instance, like, yeah. pitchers do dictate a game, I guess. Um, I'm not the greatest baseball fan, but I will say that, like, for Atlanta, I think there are all different factors. You know, a lot of teams were great in mm-hmm. that span. Like, you know, they had the Yankees who won, I think – five rings in that span and a lot of teams get good and they go a little bit further and you know Mm -hmm. it's just getting hot at the right time yeah so with with all of this going on though I'm completely sold that the Atlanta curse is broken and I say that and and here's here's the reason I say that Um, I say that for many reasons I think for a, a an Atlanta major sports team so we're talking soccer baseball football basketball I would say those are the four major sports. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, but with those four major sports teams, one of those teams finally won, and it was soccer. And, yes, it's a brand-new team, and they, quote-unquote, haven't been able to feel the effects of the curse. But that loss with Columbus Crew last season was the most Atlanta thing that you could do. They come in, they're, what are they, third seed? I Maybe. think so. And so they're they're just under getting a bye. They're favored to win. They're playing in Atlanta, correct? Yeah. And they 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 lose. They blow it. I mean, it it was not even. It, it was it was awful. Mm-hmm. But it was the most Atlanta thing you could do. So I, I argue that there they felt the effects of the curse. Now the curse is broken because. Atlanta United has set the precedent. 
this is the team that Atlanta desires to have. This is the team that Atlanta needs. I think the Braves are on the rise with Albies, Freddie Freeman. You just brought Brian McCann back in to be a leader. Um, you've got Swanson, Swanson, Acuna. I mean, you you're you're getting way better, and you have a lot of young talent. And this is what you're looking for if you're a sports fan is young talent that is that is hopefully going to pan out to something. And so, obviously, with one year in, in baseball, anything can change, but I, I, I see the Braves on the rise. Um, when you look at the Hawks, I mean, obviously the Hawks are having the, maybe the second worst season in the NBA behind the Bulls, who got booed off their own court. Which is insane, you just think. <laughs> exactly, but, I mean, Atlanta's on the brink of that, you know. But they've got Trey Young, which obviously he's out there doing his thing. He's I don't know what his shooting percentage is. I don't think it's, I think it's phenomenal. Like Thirty seven or something. Yeah, it's not great, but you're giving the kid the green light to say, All right, we want you to get comfortable with the NBA. You've got Torian Prince out there who's second year, third year in the league. Third year, yeah. Third year in the league. He's he's not a veteran presence, but he's young talent. Um and then you bring in guys like um, uh, Jeremy Lin, Vince Carter, Vince to Carter, be, to just be like kind of like a guide to the young crop that they have there. Exactly. And then now coming into this next draft, odds are you're going to get a first or second round pick where you can pick up Zion or R.J. Barrett, and that's just that's just adding on to the young talent that you bring into Atlanta. I think after five or six years. If you haven't made a significant run in the playoffs, I think you got to look at coaching at that point. Um, well, I, I think, like, to an extent, like, to go back to your earlier point about Atlanta United, I think the difference that I don't think they didn't, they didn't lift the curse is the fact that, like, this team was constructed differently. Mm-hmm. It's something for the millennials to hold as something that's theirs that they saw from the beginning from, like, when it was, like, like grassroots – now to seeing, like, the finished product. Well, I say finished loosely because, you know, like, once you get one, you want two. Once you get two, so on and so forth. Yeah. But, like, just being able to have something they can claim as theirs. Because, you know, like, we're growing up, the Braves, when they were in through that whole entire, like, 14-year span of winning their division, like, uh, they were able to, like, you know, the, you said they represented Braves country. Yeah. And with that, I think that... um this is something they identify with. Like, they're getting new players, like you said, with the different faces you have on the Braves. But with Atlanta United, I think they're separate from the curse because, you know, they have a different construction to them. It's like something people can relate to. Mm-hmm. And whereas the other teams, being a transient town kind of hinders them mm-hmm. because Atlanta United it feels homegrown. Like, the Braves are also homegrown, too, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. That's a tricky one for the Braves because they're – I think they could be a tweener because they do have grown, homegrown talent, but uh, I think that it's different because not everybody can go sit at a baseball game and watch it all the way through, whereas soccer, I think it, more, it might even be preference at that point, but mm-hmm. – Soccer, the environment of constant action happening, and just the crowds. You would see, like, 
on television, the announcers sometimes forget the game is going on, and then they just look at the crowds. Yeah. The crowds are come in, file in the masses, and it's just a spectacle in of itself. And you can have that at a Braves game, but it's just, just a different type of energy that you feel like it's mm-hmm. a huge family, I guess. Yeah, and I think with baseball in general, it's a very lax game to go to. And and I say that because you've got, what, 162 games. 162 games. So, I mean, season tickets are... Pretty cheap. Pretty cheap. Depending I mean, on the team, though. Yeah, but I mean, I... I know going to Braves games, it's like, yeah, like I go here for a, a, a social hour. And even when, so I, I've, during camp, while I've been traveling, I've had families take me to Cardinals games in St. Louis. And it, it's almost the same environment in the sense of we go, we hang out, we talk, we socialize, we walk around, we look at all the little shops, we watch the game for about, you watch a total of about six or seven innings, and then you, you call it a day. Yeah, like I know, like certain sports, I think this also becomes a factor because certain sports you can watch them on TV and they're just good on TV. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, football. If you look at it, sometimes as a team, as the offense is moving forward to one side of the field, yeah, it feels like your seat gets worse depending on where you're seating at. Yeah, or you, if you have a bad seat, you're basically just looking up at the Titantron or looking up the TVs around in order to watch a game. Whereas yeah. if you're in the comfort of your house, you're able to feel like you're somewhat close to the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the prices mm-hmm. are more steeper than yeah. other sports. Um, but I think it's a generational thing because mm-hmm. we're in the generation where everything's so instant. Yeah. And having something... I don't know, maybe this is just how I feel, but I just feel that something like that where soccer to me is just more constant movement, just Mm -hmm. having that type of vibe in Atlanta is just really awesome to see. Yeah, no, I think the only team that has not been, that is not on the uphill rise or heading in the right direction for Atlanta is the Falcons. And it's... It's so frustrating for me to say that because I, I – and I say this all the time, but I think they have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL with Ridley, Sanu, and Julio. I think all of those three people are incredibly talented. I think we push Matt Ryan under the bus sometimes more than we should. I'm not saying he's an elite quarterback. I'm not saying he's the best quarterback in the league. I think his talent is sufficient to win a Super Bowl. I, I mean, your offensive line is good enough. Your defense struggles a lot. Your goal is to keep them off the field. I think they just – it's coaching. It comes down to coaching. And as soon as they get the coaches out, clean house – well, maybe not clean house, but once you get the coaches out, then you're heading in the right direction. And I feel like Atlanta doesn't recognize that yet. They don't recognize, whoa, we need to get new coaches – they keep saying, oh, let's get Matt Ryan, let's get Matt Ryan. It's like what um, what Georgia fans did with Jake Fromm in the SEC Championship. It's like, guys, what are you talking about? Like, Jake Fromm is not playing poorly. Jake Fromm is having the night of his life out there, and Alabama is just a – Alabama just came out and beat you tonight. I'm not going to sit here and say Alabama is a better team, but I also don't think Georgia's a better team. I think they're two very evenly matched teams – 
And I think you saw that throughout the game. They fought each other well. It was a great game. I think Alabama had the edge that night. And I think if they play 10 games, it goes 5-5. Five and five. But, with that being said, that's off, off track. But, with that being said, I, I think we're putting too much pressure on Matt Ryan. And I think we're not putting enough pressure on the coaches. Yeah, it's like to get to your earlier point, I think that Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons to me is just like been like a weird type of tenure since Matt Ryan got there because they did a really good job at the beginning of just bringing them to a winning um, squad where they're able to get over the hump for a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. they're able to make the playoffs. But yeah. I think the problem with the Falcons, and like I guess there's a broad broad brush to paint with. And I think the this is why I think that the Atlanta Falcons, I wouldn't say the Braves, depends because baseball is very interchangeable in certain things because, you know, one-year player, well, that's across the board. Like a one-year player can be really good, but the next – might yeah. be a shell of himself, but that's besides the point. I say I think that Atlanta's gotten used to just being good enough, mm-hmm. and that's it. No, I see that, and I I see that in the Falcons. I see that when they when they went to the Super Bowl, they said, "Oh well, like this is good enough. We made it to the Super Bowl. Now let's crash and burn." I think the problem with that is the fact that regardless of who you put behind coaching, yes, for a little bit, that's gonna be able to solve the immediate problem, but the long problem, the long, huge elephant in the room, I think you need to, if you're in the business of winning championships and mm-hmm. bringing new culture to it, I can get super stagnant. You can get just so used to just being good, but if your goal is to get to the big dance and win the trophy, yeah, it's just having a place where I think you upheave everybody that's the thing because i think they got rid of mike smith as soon as dan quinn came in and it was like okay okay this is something different the team played differently i guess on the defensive side they're mm-hmm. somewhat better they got younger last like the season when their super bowl it was just incredible seeing the two-headed monster of like Devonte freeman yeah and um oh, coleman shit. coleman tevin coleman and yeah. then just that happening and then now I feel that that Dan Quinn charm is kind of kind of getting a little bit old to a sense. Not an indictment on him more so, but more so of like the culture there, you know? Yeah. Because I'm a Seahawks fan and we had a time where our team was really, really good. And we had the Legion of Boom, we had all these great characters, we had a very good team. But you saw, like, it started sputtering out. Players were leaving. People were just kind of like, you know what? This is not what I signed up for. This is not the same team after the Super Bowl lost. And the Super Bowl hangover is a real thing because the last three seasons, the Patriots is the outlier, but the last three seasons, like, you've seen, or four or five or so, you've seen the Seahawks, the Falcons, the Eagles, the Patriots is the one they're outliers, but yeah. like you see, like there is a Super Bowl hangover. Yeah, even like this is weird for the Eagles because they're actually winning, but just having that different, you know, like mm-hmm. they have different factors that play into it. But you saw, like, as soon as the Seahawks lost, that whole entire team like kind of lost 
hope and the mm-hmm. hot lost hope with each other. And um, I say that to say this, like for the Falcons, that could also be um, something that probably kind of made a void, made a void inside the whole entire team. You know, you're trying to like the coach's job is to like rally the troops and make sure that they f- play for each other and play mm-hmm. together, and that's great and all. But at the same time, like there are factors you can't avoid. Like not everybody, like we talked about this off air. Like not everybody who's on the team shares the same energy that you think that they do, you know? Yeah. Because they're not all buying into that. You know, some people are playing for themselves. Some people are playing for large, lucrative contracts. Who knows? People have different agendas. But when you have, like, one team playing under one way, it's really awesome to see it work. And for the Falcons, I think even just – it goes straight to the the higher-ups because they've been there for a while, like, free agency – it's just been, you know, it's just like... Yeah, eh. and that's the thing is Atlanta has not done much in free agency. And that's across the board, except for Atlanta United. When you see Atlanta United in free agency, they're they're picking up guys that are going to come in and that are going to put in work. Now, I think the, the question that I bring up with Atlanta for next year is you have Almiron probably leaving. You have Tata gone. I mean, there's, there's no telling what's going to happen in the offseason. Do you think your idea of the Super Bowl slump, do you think the MLS Cup slump, that was a weird phrase, but do you think the MLS Cup slump is a real thing? Do you think that Atlanta's not going to be able to bounce back? Um, we saw after last season that it left a bad taste in their mouth just losing in mm-hmm. that fashion and losing at home to one of the greatest fan bases in all of MLS and then just turning around and just being able to deliver, finally deliver. Yeah. It's like kind of a sign of hope. Think about it. Like the Falcons, well, actually not the Falcons. The Fal- Actually, yes, the Falcons actually had, they were like picked as like the top five teams to make the Super Bowl, and they would have been like the third or fourth team to play a home Super Bowl if that was the case. If yeah. everything would have went smoothly, they would have been in line for that. And then just having that, Having a like having Atlanta United there, um, now it's been a bad season for Atlanta for the Atlanta Falcons. It's been it left a bad taste for be a Georgia fan like during the SEC championship game. Yeah. but just having the bright spot of Atlanta United being able to hoist a trophy, or it's like ugh, we had great expectations for everybody, but this this is the Gosh. one thing that went right because I I can only imagine how horrible it would have been in Atlanta if. Oh. If it didn't go, if it didn't go according yeah. to plan, I don't know? think you understand. I was so excited once Atlanta finally won a championship because I've been waiting for so long. I was born in '95, so it's not like I got to see the Braves win. And then I, I watched the Braves almost get there when they had Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield, um, Smoltz, Maddox, Glavin, um, the whole, the all whole those guys. I, I watched them struggle through that and never make it over the hump. I've I've watched Atlanta with Vic. I've seen Atlanta in the in the Super Bowl. I mean, I I've seen the Hawks in there. What was a sixty two win season? Sixty win season. Sixty just... win season. It's they're right there. They're right there, and then they blow up. Yeah, I've like... seen it, and so to finally have Atlanta United win, it's such a sweet taste. And yeah, it's so nice to be an Atlanta fan. But I even think that to the reason why I don't subscribe to Atlanta 
United lifted the curse. I don't even think they were cursed to begin with because, to me, yes, they choked in that game. But mm-hmm. it's also, like, in turn due to the fact that they're this is their first year. Now, the regular season, you can take the cake and you can just, like, take the league by storm. Mm-hmm. And in the playoffs, people start gearing up and tighten up and play a whole different type of game. Yeah. And the experience Columbus had, let's just say that they weren't the best team on the field, but they were able to execute and leave with, like, just end leave and then just mm-hmm. move forward on. Um, but I think the fact that they were able to take risks, you know, they signed Nagby off the, Nagby off the uh, off season, And I know he wasn't healthy for a few parts of the season, but, mm-hmm. like, just being able to have somebody like that. And how storybook is it that... Nagby plays his old team in the cup, you know, and gets a one over. But, you know, um, nevertheless, I think that I think they're separate from the curse because the way that the team is constructed and who the team identifies with, it has a range. But I think it's more so like there's a youthful, joviant uh, construction of the team, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, the characters, the people who identify with them, you know. Yeah. And having the great... Because think about it, like, Yosef had one of the greatest MLS seasons this season. Yeah. And being able... It's great to get the trophy and just be like, yeah, I mean, I scored this many goals, but you saw the Warriors as well. Like, they got 73 wins, but they didn't hoist the championship. Yeah. You know, just having that in soccer where Yosef set records and goals and hoisted the championship, man, yeah. that's probably one of the greatest seasons to have. Yeah. And you were you were talking about the the youthful, joviant Atlanta United team, and me, me and Nard were talking about this earlier. This is a hot take of mine, and a lot of people I've heard is in the NBA, a lot of teams are trying to um, basically make their team look like Golden State, and it's easy to say, oh, Atlanta's doing this because they got Trey Young, and my argument is that Atlanta is not basing their team off of. Golden State, rather they're basing their team off Atlanta United. And that sounds wild because they're two completely different sports teams. There's a huge difference in players on the field slash court. But when you look at the way the team is set up, what Atlanta United did was they got a a bunch of youthful players for the midfield um, and to play up top and they got maybe a couple in the back, but then they also have a lot of veterans. If you look at the Hawks, that's exactly what they're doing right now because you've got Trey Young, you've got Torian Prince, um, you've got a a few other guys that came in in the draft that are are sitting the bench that are getting some time, maybe not a ton, but they're getting some time. Then you bring in guys like Jeremy Lin, um, Vince Carter, Carter, just these, these guys that are bringing experience to the table. And so I think... I think Atlanta, I think the Hawks have seen what United has done. And, and once again, take this for a grain of salt because I'm not saying that their, their owners corroborate on this. But it's a, it's, a, it's a fun hot take to think that the Hawks are doing exactly what United is doing. And so the question is, if they are, does that, does that model work across sports? Um, I don't, I don't think so for this instant. I think that people, 
look at Golden State and they think that across the board, in order to beat Golden State, we have to beat Golden State. But you just look at look at the teams that they actually play against. Like they played against the Cavs the last what is it four seasons, three seasons? I don't know if it's three or four. And just thinking the amount of times that Cleveland thought, well, we're just going to hoist up shots in order to beat Golden State. Whereas the Warriors were probably like top five. They weren't even at the mm-hmm. top. They were top in efficiency, but they weren't hoisting that many threes. They were just being able to have players who are there, who actually have experience of playing with each other, mm-hmm. and just being able to set that culture. And also, Kevin Durant just like falling on their lap. There's <laughs> nothing to just sneeze at for them, you know. But I think that for Atlanta, for the Atlanta United, uh, well, actually no, Atlanta Hawks. You said, mm-hmm. I think that the blueprint for them is just to get something the city can rally behind. You know, yeah. Atlanta United. The one thing I would say in order to combine the two and just see what they're trying to be, Atlanta United got something the city could get behind. Like, you know, Trey Young is a really good name to have, but what do you have on top of that? Mm-hmm. Julio Jones is a really good player to have, but what do you have on top of that? Yeah. You know, being to a Super Bowl is great, but also it's great that we know you're a very good player, but, you know, you got to ask yourself, like, having these great players and they're all athletes, they all have personal decisions of why they're there, you look at a person like Julio Jones, he's not getting any younger, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you know, not getting to a Super Bowl and just thinking, man, I am one of the elite receivers, and will I ever have this chance again? And I think that for the Atlanta Hawks, what they could do is just have something that the city can get behind, you mm-hmm. know? And it's going to be hard because Atlanta United is already just kind of like put themselves a little bit on the front row. Yeah. I think them, the Braves... Actually, if we're going to include Georgia football, I think we will, we will say that much as well. But mm-hmm. professionally, I think United, the Braves, mm-hmm. the Falcons, and the Hawks, I think, well, give or take, I think fan bases-wise, what you can get behind, you know. Yeah. Um, talking to our next-door neighbors, they're really huge Braves fans, and just seeing the like the low expectations they had, they're like, well, this is going to be a down year, <laughs> but next year, yeah. next year we'll have them. And just have that... Like the unexpected to see how the young stars took over mm-hmm. and just the new faces, the the things to look forward to in the baseball league of just um, seeing Acuna take mm-hmm. the league by storm. And then just, you know, for the Hawks, they have Trey Young, but what do you have on top of that? It's yeah. good to have Trey Young, but what are you going to have on top yeah. of that? Maybe you have somebody who's there right now that you don't know what they can turn out to be. You yeah. know, not everybody's gifted to have uh mature enough in the first year to take that yeah that role you know and that's what i'm thinking the draft will bring for him is because hopefully you're getting a, an early first round pick and with that you're picking up hopefully either zion or rj barrett so i mean once again I mean, it, another big name that hopefully atlanta can pick up i mean it's possible but that's where i think the curse comes in because it's just like when things for Atlanta are supposed to happen, they don't happen. Like Donichich. Yeah, it's just like, oh, man. Like, for him, it's just like, you know, a lot of people during draft night, it's like, that's such a boneheaded move to get mm-hmm. rid of him. And, you know, a lot of skeptics right now feel right because he's, Trey Young's having a good season, yeah. but Donchich is having a, a great, great season. It's yeah. just like, I think for, like, 
the skeptic is just hoping, God forbid, he gets an injury. But I think, yeah. uh, I think, weirdly, they want to hope for that yeah. type of thing to happen. Hopefully, it doesn't. But well, um, I think Atlanta needed to get rid of Schroeder, and Trey Young was the best option in this draft class too. Yeah, take over his position. And I think the greatest thing is just like accumulating picks in order to build the future for mm-hmm. for your team. You know. Yeah. Um, so we we were talking about like the mediocrity of these professional teams in Atlanta, except for United, obviously coming off of a championship. I think the Braves are kind of in the in the medium right now, sitting on the fence, um, with potential to be a, a playoff contender, a World Series threat, hopefully, hopefully within the next two years. Um, but kind of stepping down from professional sports, what do you think about Georgia football? That's an interesting thing because, I mean, if Georgia was a professional football league, I would lump them in that cursed feel, like that really? cursed vibe because, I mean, you look at the game and Jake Fromm, let's just say this first and foremost, Jake Fromm played great. Yes. Jake Fromm is not the issue. No. Jake Fromm was never the issue. Well, let's just say the LSU game, The LSU perhaps. game was, yeah, but, but Jake Fromm was not the issue for that game. Um, I think that it comes down to coaching. It just comes down to execution and just seeing how I think people are talking it up to, you know, it's just a perfect storm for Jalen Hurts, but at the same time, still execution because mm-hmm. you can deem it on that fake punt but I think on top of that, there are more like that is the big play that stands out. But you still have to make yourself like you still have to keep the foot on your neck, a foot on their neck the whole entire sixty yeah. minutes, and just being able to take advantage. Because you know this is Alabama. Once you punch them, they're not going down. Yeah, you have to make sure you just keep pounding. You just keep whatever you need to do to make sure they don't come back up. And Jalen Hurts do that. Yeah, Jalen Hurts. We've been waiting all year long. Been hearing all the criticism of like, why didn't transfer? Why he's still there? You know why? 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 He's probably even asking why. You saw his, how emotional he was and how at Georgia. This sucks at Georgia's expense, but it was such a great story to hear. Yeah. But he took advantage of an opportunity, ran with it. But still, like, I think if Georgia executes. That is a whole different game. But, you know, you move on. You move on and you just hopefully this does not become a trend. You know, the one mm-hmm. indictment against Mark Richter when he was here is just like Georgia was good and that was it. They were just good but mm-hmm. couldn't get over the hump. And to a point where the AD is just like, man, you know what? We're a good team, mm-hmm. but let's just yeah, you gotta we need move to change. On. We need to change something. If it means getting rid of the coach and bringing somebody in mm-hmm. and that's done – that's done dividends for them, but um, and you can say that to the Falcons, like they did the same thing, but it's just more so culminating a culture, and now it's different because you can recruit players and you can pick and choose that. And to another point that me and Eric were talking about offline is just the fact that um, just having that new type of energy and the new type of mentality for them, where you have. Um, Justin Fields, who's mm-hmm. number one prospect, who was the number one prospect for the year prior, and then just having him there. Because it really kind of, like, when I heard he was going to Georgia, it was kind of like, 
Really? I mean, problem's already there. Like, yeah. it looks like kind of like a, a food chain of just like, Fromm took Eason's job as Fields in position to take Fromm's job, like, yeah. you know? But I think seeing Fromm, and this is the reason why I think that you shouldn't give up on Fromm. I'm not a Georgia fan. I really, this sounds like a cop-out, but I'm just a college football fan. I just, <laughs> I, I don't know, I can't, behind, I can't get behind the team like that. But besides the point, I think the reason why you shouldn't jump off the Jake Fromm wagon is the fact that, like, you've seen how mentally tough and how... How resilient he is this whole entire season. Think mm-hmm. about it. You have a young quarterback who's super talented sitting behind you, and just you could either cop out and pretend that, well, you know what, the coaches even want me here. This, that, and the third. You know, you can chalk it up to a lot of things. But seeing him, kind of having that mentality of able to look beyond that and just being like, well, this is a new opportunity because you know. Kirby said it best. You told me this. Kirby said it best. Like, the best player plays. And just being able to have your quarterback being pushed and seeing other players. If if you're the coach and the quarterback is the leader of the team, being able to take that adversity or take that, like, kind of, like, seeing what he has behind him kind of gears the other guys. And then they themselves see that they want to play for – from they want to play for Kirby Mm -hmm. you know it's just it could go both ways and that was my thing because you know not everybody might be buying into that you know yeah because you know some people might be team from team like might be team fields team froms you know and it might even happen in your locker room and you can start listening to outside noise and that can corrupt the product you have in there Mm -hmm. and it's it's something crazy dude but it, it can sway so Earlier, you just said the the best player plays. Well, I mean, we've got the playoffs coming up. Do you think the best teams play? Do you think the best teams are in the playoffs right now? Or do you think the the board just kind of, the committee just kind of did what they thought was best? I think the, I think the one indictment with it has been the fact of the criteria and who's on the board. Because you have, excuse me, you have present day ADs. Mm-hmm people who have ties to most of the like most of the power five conference conference teams and then just having that there kind of um kind of kind of i'd say kind of becomes a conflict of interest because some teams get the overlook some teams don't get the fair shake like the i don't think every single team is graded the same across the board okay because you could have I know Eric is about to get on his soapbox on this one. I'm going a, I'm to a say Notre Dame, and I'm going to let him run with that one. But you can have teams that the criteria is different based on scheduling. Like you see like uh, one qualm, I think, that some teams talk about is the fact that scheduling, you know. How come the SEC can be able to like get a team who's a podunk from Podunk USA mm-hmm. and give them a check and say, all right, you're going to be our homecoming team. We're just going to destroy you. You're just going to take the check and you just leave. And yeah. then other teams that can't afford to do that because strength of conference, strength of mm-hmm. ke- schedule. Um, and, you know, it's not to say that it's a level playing field across the board because it's not because mm-hmm. some conferences are stronger than others. Some have more stars, some Whatever it may be, you know. Mm-hmm. I just think that the criteria gets skewed, and I think it's more so most deserving 
then it was more most the the uh, the best four I think. Yeah. So I mean, you said most deserving, and I think my my argument is that the committee is lost somewhere in between the best and the most deserving. Um, so when when Nard and I say most deserving, what we mean is um, the team that fulfills the committee's requirements or um, suggestions, say you, um, a, a, a championship, um, a conference championship, um, a zero or a one-loss team, um, no blowouts, and that's the, that's the criteria that I believe the committee goes off of. Would you say that's a fair, a fair statement? Yes, I think surface level, yes. But, so, you know, it's skewed at yeah, times. Yeah, and that's why I say they're caught in between but that's deserving where, and best. But that's where I think, like, the conflict of, conflict of interest comes into play because, you know, you can have, you know, those people who are selected in there, they probably have people in their ears just like, hey, man, uh, I know you're here. Can you make us Because that's good? the thing is if, if you put Notre Dame in, a, a, a no-loss team, they, yeah, they they went undefeated. Good for them. They didn't really play anybody. They didn't win a conference championship, but they went undefeated. So looking at that, statistically thinking, all right, they're the best team. Obviously behind Clemson and Alabama, who also went undefeated with tougher schedules. Um, but if you're going on undefeated teams, you have to put UCF in, and you have to put them in above Notre Dame because – Based on your criteria, they're better. They have a conference championship, which is more than Notre Dame has. Their strength of schedule is, I would argue, just about the same. Now, yes, Notre Dame played Syracuse. Watch out for Syracuse. They played Pittsburgh. Watch out for Pittsburgh. They did play Michigan. That was the one game that Notre Dame played that UCF didn't have to play. It was a, it was a, like, a top five opponent because Michigan was number five at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so you've got an undefeated team with a conference championship that's not in it, and you're willing to put a one-loss conference champion in, so that's where you're saying, okay, well, we're putting the best team in over the most deserving team. But when you look at the best team, if you if you look at the split um, between Clemson and Notre Dame, it's a... It's a 10-point split, if I'm not mistaken. And between Alabama and Oklahoma, it's a 14-point. Well, between Georgia and Alabama, it's a 7-point. So are you, are, are you telling me that Georgia's not a better team than Oklahoma? Well, here's the thing I'll subscribe to. Um, I think that UCF, it is an undefeated team, but to me, I equate UCF as how I did... Um, was I think is when like twelve years ago when Georgia played against Hawaii, yeah, and Hawaii was people were like, man, we should have Hawaii in this big game, mm-hmm. and then they play against an actual team, yeah, not these run of the mill schools who are just on the decline, try to rebuild, mm-hmm. and they get thrashed. And like you look at UCF, I don't think they played anybody big this year. No, they are able to win what they had. They did what they're supposed to do. They played who whoever they played. And they were able to win out their games. They did what they were supposed to. But, and this is like where it gets kind of weird because I know there are times where um, you 
you might not even have any leeway on the scheduling, but you still have to take some risks, mm-hmm. you know? And that's why, I, that's to say, to reiterate my last point, um, that's where, like, I think that the scheduling is not the same across the board that, you know, some teams are trying to play it safe because, mm-hmm. you know, they have somebody who they've already scheduled, you mm-hmm. know, to take that easy, easy dub. Yeah. And I think for them... I don't know. I think, like, it's just a product of social media of just mm-hmm. being the faux national champion, being whatever. I yeah. think they're a good team, but still. Yeah, I don't subscribe to the national champion thing. But here's the thing, like, not to cut you off, but it sounds like um, you see what their actual coach, when he went to Nebraska, they had a tough season this year. Mm-hmm. But granted, he did inherit a team that was kind of on the decline. He doesn't yeah. have his... Because, you know, it takes around... I think it takes around the third season. Yeah, three or four seasons. Three or four seasons for the coach... For the new coach to actually get his pick of um, players. Mm-hmm. Now, regardless, I think even early in the season, there were some players who came from that school, who Nebraska, That's that is, and they were talking about how it was somewhat divided because you didn't have players that were buying into it. And buying in is the biggest thing in order for having a yeah. successful team. A lot of things also have to go right, but still, like, as a coach, that's one of the things. But I say that to say this. Um, I UCF, I don't know. To me, it's just kind of like the if this was like the BCS format, mm-hmm. it would be like that at-large bid. It would yeah. be like what Boise State used to be yeah. because they could beat everybody in their league, but I think they played Georgia one year, and Georgia, Georgia won, but, yeah. you know... It's still it was a good game to see. Just like it's just kind of like seeing the what if happened in real life. Like what if Georgia played against that undefeated team? Yeah. But they did have talented players. Now, I think that um I think it's the most deserving because Ohio State oh no, Ohio State. Notre Dame um there's one thing and I shout out to my roommate for this, Bailey and he did say this, like, one of the reasons it becomes more of a conflict of interest in this sense, because Notre Dame has a TV deal with NBC. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't want to go mess that up if you're going to be like, well, let's get... Notre Dame wouldn't go and mess that up because they would have to share that money with the... Act. I don't know the semantics, but I would assume they would have to share that money with whatever conference they join. Because I think as an independent, they have... They don't have to answer. I mean, they do have their committee, but they don't have to answer to a conference or a, a conference committee or whatnot. Yeah. And so I don't think that. I don't think it's a fault of their own. They did the same thing UCF did. They took advantage of their schedule, won what they needed to do, left everything in the voters' hands. Mm-hmm. They just landed to be in the right place at the right time, took advantage of it, regardless of whether they get destroyed they took advantage of this of their schedule mm-hmm. one out and i think that's all you can do yeah um and here's my thing and i, I i'll 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 drop this at this because i when i get on this soapbox i get on this soapbox so i'll i'll leave it at this ucf has won 25 games in a row 25 games in a row they've won without losing that includes bowl games that includes conference championships that includes conference games. That includes throwaway games. 25 games in a row. 
Now, Notre Dame has done similar. However, they did lose. Um, Notre Dame lost in the, was it the playoffs last year? No. Well, let me see. No, 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 no. They weren't even in the final four. They weren't. In the, no, they weren't. They weren't. That's right. Is UGA? Um, and they is, may have won their. They may have won their bowl game. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't remember that. But regardless, they lost to Georgia. Um, barely. Barely. Yeah, not it was a close it game. In, but it, it was, was a close game. I think. I think this season they would have said, okay, like if Notre Dame is a one loss team that close to Georgia, they get in. I'm okay with that argument. But Notre Dame, the only game they played was against Michigan. And so I, I think but it's, it's too early to tell because like exactly. I think I think they were smart to start it early because the voters would be lenient on it because mm-hmm. you know they still have that oh yeah by the way if y'all are saying we didn't play anybody we have Michigan yeah now they did a smart decision of just playing them in the beginning mm-hmm. where they can afford to take a loss and then after that build a resume yeah you know regardless whether they won or lost they were smart to I think schedule in the beginning where it didn't hurt them now. They do have the liberty of not playing in a conference where yeah. that becomes more formidable, formidable mm-hmm. to be in that position. But at the same time, like I said, they took advantage of that schedule. They did their best. They also had a quarterback change, which has been paying dividends. Yeah. Um, I, in that in that sense, I kind of equated to how Georgia went from you know East into From. Yeah. And just seeing how the team like I know it wasn't very much it wasn't as kind of um it wasn't as more I wanna say impactful or like not that's a bad choice of words. Mm-hmm. Uh it wasn't that drastic but you can see that um for Fromm he was able to bring the new type of mm-hmm. energy behind it where they could see um he took advantage of an opportunity that Easton was hurt and then he went and he took that position. Yeah. Um, and in Notre Dame's case, they got Ian Book. Ian Book was able to make his throws, able to bring the same type of thing, same type of energy. Mm-hmm. And then now they're in position to perhaps even just – I don't know if they'll win the championship, but I know they could, like, make a good game out of that Clemson – out of Clemson, I don't think that it's going to be a blowout, but it will be a great game to see, seeing how Ian Book plays against that front four, which has been heavily touted on the next level of being great, mm-hmm. one of the great, i say good D-lines um, since recent memory for them. Yeah. Well, man, I'd say uh, that's a good way to sum this bad boy up. Yeah. But with that being said, I mean, to the, to the people listening – do you think Atlanta is cursed, or do you think Atlanta United broke the curse if they were? Uh, do you think the committee got it right? Do you think the committee is letting the best or the most deserving teams in? But we thank you so much if you've listened to us ramble about sports for the last 55 minutes. Uh, we thank you so much. You were just clicking. Awesome pod. I really enjoyed hanging out with Eric. This is the last few times we'll have him on here, but it'll be we're making the most of it, and we, we love are. to hear you guys' thoughts. So. We are. Well, we out here. All right, peace. See y'all.